This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA today. It is February 15th. Hopefully all of you had great Valentine's Days with uh, those you care about. If you've been watching the news today, you have seen there is a lot of activity happening in the markets. There's a lot of activity happening in the world of international affairs. And there's a lot of things happening in the world of economic reports. We've had a lot of data come out this morning. The commodity markets are up and down and all across the board. We're going to check in with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing here about those markets in just a minute. Later on in the program, we'll have a chance to talk with Joel Brandenberger. He's the president of the National Turkey Federation. Of course, turkey growers in the news after an outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza at a turkey farm in Indiana. Turkey industry's on alert. Joel's going to have an update for us. And then we're going to talk to Todd Neely. Several bills allowing folks the, quote, right to repair their equipment have been introduced. One in Nebraska, a couple other states, and one at the federal level. Todd's going to come on, talk a little bit about what those bills have and the potential for them actually getting passed. And then finally, at the end of the show, we're going to talk with Jackie Holland of Farm Futures. She has been tracking fertilizer prices, and with the volatility we're seeing in the energy space, it it makes sense that fertilizer prices are moving as well. But as I promised first, we're going to talk to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing about these markets. Dwayne, it's a tale of two markets today. Grains down big, livestock up. Let's start with the grains. Dwayne, what are the most impactful headlines this morning moving those markets? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the word headlines, because that's what the markets are doing the last 24 hours, really since Friday about noon. We're chasing headlines that come out of Russia and Ukraine, whether they are invading or they're not. Of course, the market, we built a bit of a premium in, especially the wheat market and the crude oil market, assuming that if they do invade, you know, that means less wheat exports out of the largest two countries in the world that export. And then, you know, crude, of course, is a very rich area for crude oil, so we're thinking that would slow the flow of crude oil to the rest of the world. So Friday about noon, we spiked up because it looked like they were going to invade. And then yesterday, you know, markets were selling off. All this technical picture looked bad. Headline came out that they're going to invade on Wednesday. And then about 2.20 this morning, which, no, I was definitely sleeping at that time. We got news that Russia was pulling back from the borders. And now Putin has said, you know, we just we did our war exercises like we said we were going to. Now we're going back to our bases. So the market is a risk off in the grains as far as the Ukraine situation. With this risk-off scenario playing out, as you look at the wheat market, Dwayne, how much risk premium could we get sucked out of this market here in the short term? Oh, gosh. I, I'd say, you know, we're down 21 cents this morning as we speak, pulling it right back to all the, the 20, 50, and 100-day moving averages. So that's a nice area where I'd like to find support. But when you really think about wheat this time of year, I, I feel like we could pull another 70 cents off this thing, get back down to that 735 support area for Chicago wheat. There isn't really a, a big bullish story in wheat. It was really pumped up due to this Russia-Ukraine situation, which, of course, the last time they invaded in 14, I think we rallied about $2 in wheat. So when you think of all the other inflation, all the other bullish stories going on, I think the market was primed and ready to really run with this wheat. But uh, fundamentally, we don't have a crazy bullish story for another couple weeks until we can talk about the dryness in the southern plains, if it's still there in a couple weeks. Yeah. And, you know, we had John Brannick of DTN Weather on the show yesterday, and it sounds like that dryness is going to be there. So we'll have more to talk about in the future. It yeah. sounds like, Dwayne, you mentioned the fact that wheat doesn't have a terribly bullish uh, demand picture out there. But on soybeans, we do. We've seen phenomenal demand. We've seen this market rally. Beans are off 25 cents. Is this also Russia-Ukraine headline news, or have we seen more moisture move into South America? Uh, we are in the forecast a little bit. This morning, I, I'm seeing about half of Argentina is scheduled to get heavy rains, but that's in the 6 to 10 day forecast. So it is a little ways out. They're going to be dry for the most part this week. I'd say another, you know, uh, of course, about five to seven days is what they're calling. So it's really late. It's more like day 8, 9, 10 is where they're supposed to get the rain. So, But that's enough to put pressure on the soybean market. And of course, we we're also reversing off that technical reversal we made last week. We had a high in what March soybeans are like 1633. Well, geez, we're at 
1550 today. So we've had pulled back quite a bit already, and the technicians are kind of in control of that market right now and pointing out that looks like a high. And every day that we go without testing that high is another day that works for the bears that to prove that it is the high. So, yeah, I see more pressure there. I think we got to get down to that 1525 support area. And then we'll see, you know, if the 20-day moving average can support that market or not. But uh, we've had a a big push on how small the South American crop can be, right? Almost a race to get to the lowest production estimate. Well, when Conab came out with that 125, it was kind of confirming that the crop is really around that level. But yesterday, I think U.S. USDA attache in Argentina came out with a 134 million metric ton. So the market's trying to digest everything back and forth, and maybe the bulls don't have a story for the short term here. All right. Well, we'll see if that story can develop. Dwayne, on the corn side, we've got uh, old crop corn still in the mid $6 range, but we're down big today. Is this just uh, you know, follow through selling along with the wheat market? Yeah, just following the headlines there, because corn actually had the best close it's had yesterday for several contracts. Looked very strong. Actually looked like if Russia is going to invade, corn's going to really go higher, because Ukraine's already exported a lot of their wheat out, but a lot of the trade doesn't realize they have about 700 million bushels of corn still to go out. So if there was a, an invasion, a war, I think it's a corn market that actually would be the most bullish. So therefore, now that it looks like it's not happening for this 20-minute segue anyway, we're, we're pulling back in this corn market this morning. All right. Well, let's switch over to the livestock markets. Dwayne, with corn being down so much, feeder cattle are the big winner. Where do you see some strength uh, continuing here in the feeder cattle market? Yeah, a nice recovery off of yesterday's dip. Looks now like the recent pullback was just some profit-taking sessions. You know, with the stock market up 300 points here as well, that's helping to give a little bit more confidence to the livestock market. Cash cattle trade ended close to the highs on Friday. It looks like this market's well-supported and should continue to inch higher moving forward. But i got to admit, I, I do look at like next year's calves, for example, November 22 feeders, 188. We haven't seen that in about seven years, uh, seven years plus, I'd say. So the, those prices might be worth protecting, even in an inflation-type situation. Well, and inflation, Dwayne, I'm glad you brought it up. We had the report of the producer price index this morning from the U.S. government up 9.7% year over year. As this inflation concern grows, Dwayne, what are the risks that farmers need to keep in mind? It's hard. we got to look back quite a ways in history to really when we had inflation like this. I know the Fed met, what was it, Friday and Monday behind closed doors, and I dug deep enough to find that the last time they did that, they did have a kind of surprise interest rate hike. Um, we all are expected to come in March. It was supposed to be a, a quarter percent. Now some are talking a half percent. Now I said there, like I said, there's this talk that maybe it's just a surprise interest rate hike anytime soon. That would put pressure, I would think, on the equity markets, and, and therefore maybe our cattle would actually cool off just a little bit. But uh, yeah, inflation's kind of running rampant, and they're going to have to do something about it. But um, Boy, hard for me to predict what's going to happen from the government. <laughs> That's the truth. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for talking to us today. Yeah, hey, anytime, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to talk with Joel Brandenberger, president of the National Turkey Federation. Stick with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america this is mike pearson and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world keeping farmers and ranchers informed aoa now back to mike pearson Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA as we've been unpacking some of the issues that are in the headlines for agriculture. One that has been ongoing now for almost a week is the outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza. We've dealt with this before in this country. It was reported last week on a turkey operation in Indiana. Now there have been a few additional outbreaks and suspected outbreaks being reported. I figured it was time we get caught up on how things are looking for the turkey industry and the poultry industry on a larger scale. And to help us do that, President of the National Turkey Federation, Joel Brandenberger, joins us today. Joel, thanks for taking the time to join us on the show. Mike, thank you for having us on. We appreciate it. Let's talk first about the situation as it sits today. We had the outbreak in Indiana. What has happened with that particular outbreak? Well, it appears to be contained, uh, hopefully at this point. The um, the, the, the farm in question uh, is, has been depopulated. Initial testing in a 10-kilometer control zone re- revealed no other positives. So uh, we're cautiously optimistic that, that, uh, that, that this will be, will be contained, uh, hopefully, hopefully pretty, pretty readily. Well, that is good to hear. Joel, as you listen to some of the other outbreaks that are being reported, I know there's a potential in Kentucky on a turkey operation. There's a few others in backyard flocks. Is this the the beginning of something bigger? Hopefully not. Um, you know, there was, there was a pretty significant outbreak uh, in, in the upper Midwest in 2015, uh, affected turkey and egg-laying farms. Um, then, and I, and I think there's been a lot learned by, uh, by USDA, by state governments, and certainly by industry about the best ways to respond, the best ways to contain. And, and it's not an accident that the, the handful of incidents that we've had since 2015 uh, have been contained to a small number of farms and, and haven't spread. And we're, and we're hopeful that's the case again this, again this time. I mean, 
you know, you've always got a threat from migratory birds. We have seen, especially in the Atlantic flyway, an increased number of migratory birds uh, with this particular strain of, of highly pathogenic avian influenza. And, and yet, to this point, uh, very few incidents, and, and, and we're hopeful it can, it can stay that way. One of the things that I think we we have going for us uh, is that the state of Indiana uh, has just done a, historically a phenomenal job, great Center for State Veterinary, great State Board of Animal Health there uh, in, in helping contain this and, you know, also have to have to give, uh, uh, you know, some, some pretty high compliments to USDA. Um, most of the team at USDA uh, that was there in 2015 uh, is in place today. They've been through this. They've learned a lot. Uh, and so there's, there's reason to be encouraged, but no one can let their guard right down right now. Biosecurity is, is just the number one thing that will help keep this contained. And, and uh, we believe our members know it. We believe that, that chicken, you know, chicken broiler farmers, egg laying chicken farmers, everybody understands it. I think everybody's done a lot since 2015, and I think that, that gives us um, an advantage we did not have, um, you know, in the past. Just, just some real hands-on experience that's, that's helped us prepare. Absolutely. I remember that outbreak in 2014, 2015. That was devastating for a number of producers. Joel, as HPAI breaks out, of course, on that farm in Indiana, those birds have been culled. It's devastating for the producer who sees the outbreak. Can you tell us a little bit about how it impacts the broader market? What does an HPAI outbreak mean for turkey pricing? Okay, well, you 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 hit it exactly right. For, for, for the farm uh, that goes through it, it's a terrible experience now. Uh, the federal government has a, a very good indemnity program. Uh, it may not make anyone 100% whole, but it, but it keeps it from being a complete financial catastrophe when it, when it occurs. And so we, we're appreciative uh, of USDA for that, for that program. For the for the broader industry as a whole, it, it really it, it depends. Uh, you know, contained to where it is now, I, I don't think there'll there'll be any significant lasting impact on, on turkey pricing. Um, uh, you know, I think anything that's impacting turkey pricing, you know, is still left over from from, from the height of, uh, of of when COVID hit, uh, it, it, and I think that would still be the driver on, on pricing issues at this point as, as we, you know, come, come out of, um, of adjustments that were made for that. You know, if it, if it, if it becomes, you know, heaven forbid, if it, you know, if, if we see some more pop up, maybe, you know, you could, you could see some impact on pricing, but, but if you go back to, to 2015, uh, as devastating as that, is that, is that outbreak was for the farmers who experienced it, it ultimately amounted to roughly about 3% of total turkey production. Uh, and you saw some price increases of some cuts that, that typically are high demand, you know, the, the cuts that go into luncheon meats, et cetera, um, you know, during that spring and summer. But, but even that, you know, was not extraordinarily long-lasting. So, so I think, uh, you know, I think from a consumer standpoint, that, you know, that there's real reason to believe that, 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 that the consumers, um, you know, will not will not see any any additional inflationary pressure at least at this time from that. Jill, you mentioned that some of the, the impacts on turkey pricing are, are holdovers still from the pandemic. As I think about industries that were impacted really right up front from the pandemic, turkey growers were whipsawed back and forth. What were some of the longer lasting changes uh, do you think the industry developed here throughout the COVID pandemic? Well, I, you know, I think in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of the initial adjustment, I think it, I think it occurred, you know, reasonably quickly. I think we got, uh, in 2016, we got some strong guidance from, uh, from OSHA and CDC about how to protect workers and plants. I think we were, we were able to, um, you know, to, to, to prevent any significant, uh, uh, outbreaks in, in plants at that time. That was, that was helpful. But I think, you know, ultimately the turkey industry began to experience some of the things the broader economy has, has experienced with supply chain disruptions, labor availability challenges, and, 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 and like, like, the, like, you know, like the rest of the economy at large, we're, we're, working, we're working through that. Um, you know, for the most part, 
it hasn't it hasn't had a, you know a, a, an incredibly drastic impact on consumers. I think they can still find most of the of the products they've always been able to find in supermarkets. I think we saw that there was absolutely no uh, widespread problem with availability of Thanksgiving and, and supermarkets still discounted you know offer turkeys as lost leaders like they always did. So you know consumers who were interested in, in getting a frozen turkey and, and weren't and, you know, and weren't overly concerned about the particular size of it, you know, could easily buy a turkey for 39, 49 cents a pound at Thanksgiving. Uh, and, and I think at this point, you know, we're still seeing, you know, we're still seeing fairly normal supply patterns right now in the in, in the turkey industry. Maybe a little bit tighter than in the past, but but certainly uh, supermarkets are seeming to be able to get get the product they need right now, the turkey product they need. That's good to hear. Love to see people be able to get the food they need. Joel, as you think about everything that's happening in Washington, D.C. here in 2022, are there any policy moves that turkey growers in the National Turkey Federation are keeping an eye on this year? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think there's there's probably going to be some ongoing discussion about industry structure. Uh, you know, I would not be surprised to see USDA uh, Push out some some regulations uh, across the spectrum of livestock and poultry about how about how contracting works and, and, and about uh, you know you know how that would be regulated. That would not that would not surprise us a tremendous amount. Uh, you know I think uh, I think uh, you know on the food safety side I think USDA has some has some innovative programs going that we're trying to work with them on to to pilot some new opportunities to further enhance the safety of supply and safety of the world already and if we can and that's a challenge for us to make it even even better. You know, be the best but continue to get, get even better, continuous improvement. So I think I think we're excited about that. Uh, you know, the farm bill is still a year away, uh, a year plus away, so it's a, it's a little early to tell what we what we may see there. I think in our world, I think I mentioned labor availability a little earlier. I think one thing we would really like to see Congress do is look at immigration policy and, and recognize that, you know, that, that meat processing should be treated as other manufacturing uh, is and be eligible for the same types of visas. That's something that I think you'll see, not just the turkey industry, but, but you know, the entire meat poultry industry press Congress for as we move into this year. All right. Lots of things to keep an eye on there in the turkey industry. Joel Brandberger, president of the National Turkey Federation. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today and fill us in on what's going on in your industry. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. Todd Neely of DTN looking at right to repair bills across the country. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we see double-digit losses throughout corn, soybeans, and wheat with substantial pressure to the downside across the entire grain sector. As the markets continue to ride a roller coaster of emotions closely tied to the geopolitical risks in Ukraine with a touch of inflation, the pendulum currently leaning towards a peaceful resolution in the Black Sea region, although that could change with 
uh, just a firing of a single shot. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty going on with the Black Sea region right now. We're just kind of watching from headline to headline as the Great and Oil Sea sector watches that, as well as continuing to watch South American weather as combines start to really get into the drought-stricken areas of southern Brazil. Now, we did get a sale of 101,000 metric tons of soybeans to Mexico this morning. Of that, uh, 53,500 is for the current marketing year with the rest of it for the 22-23 marketing year. Now, livestock markets are trading higher here with the lower grain prices so far this morning. So it's uh, kind of a uh, two sides of the coin story here in the ag sector with grains lower and livestock higher. Right now, March corn down 14 to three quarters, 641. July corn down 14 to three quarters, 635 to three quarters. March beans 23 to quarter lower, 1546 at three quarters. July soybeans down 22 to three quarters at 1549 at a quarter. March bean meal 630 a ton lower, 442.10. March bean oil down 114.6467. March Chicago wheat 19 to three quarters lower, 779 and a half. March KC wheat down 24 and a half at 804. March spring wheat down 19 to three quarters, 946 at a quarter. April hogs up 50, 102.82. March feeder cattle up 240, 169.27. April live cattle up 102, 147.37. Crude oil down 420 at 91.26. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen, here on AOA. There's been a lot of talk in state houses around the country over the past several years about making it easier for citizens to repair their things. Whether it's iPhones, cars, or John Deere tractors, there are folks out there who are frustrated that it's difficult to get what they need to repair these products and oftentimes have to be taken into the dealer. So several states and Congress have written bills designed to, quote, give folks a right to repair. Todd Neely of DTN has been writing about some of these bills, in particular the Nebraska version and the congressional version, and he joins us today to bring us up to speed. Todd, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, glad to be here. Let's talk about the bill that's in Nebraska first. Uh, what are they writing there in that state? What are they looking to do with this right to repair bill? Well, Mike, you know, it's uh, it's really not un, un, uh, unsimilar to what's been going on at the federal level. Uh, basically, uh, the Nebraska bill, which is kind of it's kind of interesting in and of itself, because uh, there have been very few state level bills that have made it as far as this this one here in Nebraska. Uh, it's legislative bill 543 and it made it out of a committee. Uh, it was introduced over a year ago, actually, uh, and it's a it's a priority bill of State Senator Tom Brandt, who lives in Plymouth, Nebraska. Uh, this one is going to probably make it up for a vote, hopefully, um, sometime here in, in March, maybe near the end of March. It's hard to say. Uh, the state legislature closes its uh, current session, I believe, at Mar March 31st. Uh, it's basically the same thing we're seeing at the federal level in that um, farmers want access to uh, you know, a lot of the diagnostic uh, software and different things like that when it comes to, to ag equipment. Um, and this bill would, would provide that. Um, and it's just, you know, it's kind of interesting because we've seen 
like I said, a lot of other uh, legislative efforts in states across the country. Uh, and this one in Nebraska is the one that's made it the farthest. And so far, from what we can tell, there's really not a lot of opposition to, to what he's proposing. Uh, that's probably going to change as we can come closer to an actual vote. But um, it's it's a uh, it's a very interesting bill, and I think it's probably the you know probably the best effort we've seen on a state level. And Todd, it's interesting that uh, this right to repair bill is moving forward in Nebraska at the same time we're seeing that court case in North Dakota, which is, is a class action lawsuit against John Deere, basically alleging that their repair costs are too high. Is that right? Uh, yeah, you know, it's very, it's very, uh, the same arguments are being made in the court up there. Um, you know, the farmers are losing lots of money every year and not being able to, to fix their own equipment, um, you know, on site. I mean, a lot of times these breakdowns occur, as you know, in the middle of harvest, in the middle of planting, whatever the case may be, um, you know, and farmers have a lot of skill. I mean, they're, they're able to work on their equipment, obviously, and uh, make repairs themselves. And I think, uh, that class action lawsuit in uh, in Illinois is going to probably, uh, you know, determine long term where this issue is going to go. Um, <clears throat> you know, a class action lawsuit can take some time to resolve. Um, but we've seen, you know, just since that uh, lawsuit uh, was filed, we've seen uh, these bills offered in Congress. We've seen, you know, Nebraska, the Nebraska bill. And I think what it's done, it's probably raised uh, the level of awareness at least uh, when it comes to to passing laws and and uh, you know making making these things available to farmers. And you mentioned that this federal bill, the Senate bill, the sponsored by Senator John Tester, is is very similar to the Nebraska bill. Todd, have you heard any folks in D.C.? What's the likelihood of this at least making it into discussion on the Senate floor? Uh, that's a very good question, Mike. And uh, to be honest, I'm not sure anyone knows at this point. You know, when a bill is introduced. Um, it's, uh, you know, things can change between the time it's introduced, the time it goes to committees and the time it's voted on. And, but I, I do think that we're seeing more interest, um, in, in this kind of legislation because we're seeing so much outpouring from farmers across the country about how difficult and how costly it is for them at this point, uh, to have to rely on, um, you know, other like John Deere's and other companies that have, all of this diagnose, uh, diagnostic equipment available to them, um, you know, it's it's really it's really become a, a thing. I think now where uh, we're we're hearing more being said in Congress at the very least, and so I think uh, you know we're probably going to see a, uh, some other bills offered probably on the House side, uh, but to say you know where it's going to go, it's really hard to tell this early on. Well, and I think that's true of, of everything in D.C. That's been the theme we're getting from a lot of our reporters who work out on the East Coast. Todd, I wanted to focus on another story you wrote this past week. Obviously, ethanol is in the news. Again, we'll be talking to Jeff Cooper on the show tomorrow about the recent uh, study that was published uh, saying ethanol is worse than fossil fuels on a greenhouse gas emissions basis. But uh, a lot of folks disagree with that. And we're seeing ethanol work into more engines. Can you tell us a little bit about the clear flame diesel engine and how that's working? Yeah, Mike, you know, it's really interesting because uh, this this uh, idea was introduced uh, a year or two ago at one of the, the national ethanol conferences. Um, and one of the things I think that we, we still don't really know about this engine is, you know, the cost to, to run the engine on straight ethanol. Um, I, I think, you know, the fact that this, this technology is going to be available, I think it's quite obvious it is going to be available. It's getting a lot of support from uh, from investors, including John Deere. Bill Gates has even been uh, providing some, some funding. Um, I think that what we're going to see going long term, I think this is going to be something that's going to be available, uh, whether on a cost basis for farmers compared to diesel engines, whether uh, the cost of it will be uh, will be about the same or less expensive. I don't think we know that yet. Um, but the one thing for sure is that an ethanol engine that runs on straight ethanol, I mean, this can go 90% ethanol and up. Um, you know, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that that's, that's far cleaner than a straight diesel engine. And so it has a lot of interest. It's got a lot of financial backing. It's got a lot of uh, big names behind it. And uh, I guess we wait and see how it plays out. Uh, it's passed a road test. They did a uh, a test on the engine here just recently. Um, and so it's it's definitely moving in the right direction. It's a very interesting technology we continue to follow. 
It is, Todd. It's fascinating. And, you know, when I talk to, to folks in the freight industry, they say their big concerns with electrification are that uh, battery-powered trucks just don't go nearly as far. They like liquid fuel, the ease of refilling. And, hey, if that liquid fuel is nearly 100% ethanol, that's a win for corn growers. Absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, it's it's, you know, we keep talking about the RFS and the future of the RFS, but I think, uh, you know, as we see more technologies emerge like this, uh, it keeps ethanol in the discussion. And I think that's something that the industry, uh, farmers and the ethanol industry itself can certainly back. And I think, uh, you know, it's just, like I said, it's going to be really interesting to see how this, how this technology uh, comes about and whether uh, it's something that'll be widely adopted because it certainly has a lot of interest from a lot of people. It does. And a lot of money behind it. And Todd, when we think of things with a lot of money behind them this past year, we saw a lot of money move behind farmland. I know yesterday you wrote a story taking a look at the rising farmland values. What did you see across the central part of the country? Well, Mike, you know, uh, the, the reserve banks, federal reserve banks in Kansas City and Chicago, they put out an ad credit survey, um, kind of a report on what they found to the survey of bankers and so on. Uh, farmland values have just been going and going. Uh, we're seeing at least 20% rises across the Corn Belt. Um, and I think when you look at the rise of input costs and, and fertilizer, of course, and a lot of these other pressures on ag, I think to see the, the, the farmland values go up is, is encouraging. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I think one thing, you know, a point was raised um, in one of these surveys that, you know, perhaps the farmland values are going up too quickly and, and what does that mean and that sort of thing. Um, right now, when you look at the, the broader ag economy, things are really looking pretty good. Uh, obviously, the input prices, interest rates, and things like that are really a concern. Uh, but farmland values—if you've got, you know, if you've got that valued land—it uh, certainly uh, is a good. It's a good place to be compared to the 1980s when farmland values were not so good. And so, um, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's one. It's one piece of the whole picture. It is. And Todd, you know, as I was reading through those uh, those reports from the, the Fed, you know, as we look at rising interest rates, we talked to Dwayne Bussey about that this morning. These rate hikes are coming. The enthusiasm that these ag bankers have projecting over half of them saying in the Illinois district that we're going to see continued borrowing for farmland. I know you talked to lots of folks across the country. You mentioned the ag industry is looking very healthy. Uh, Todd, what are some of the real bright spots you're watching right here in 2022? Well, Mike, you know, I think uh, for sure, for certain, you know, the commodity prices have been really good. Um, you know, we're, it's it's really hard to say long term. You know, we've seen so many ups and downs in, in agriculture and especially commodities. Um, I think that's why so much attention has been given to ethanol is because of, uh, you know, that value that it brings to, to the commodity markets. Um, I think when you look at the long term, I, I do think that, uh, you know, ag land is always going to be something that somebody's interested in. You know, we've seen Bill Gates, we've seen uh, Rupert Murdoch and others buy into, into agriculture or attempt to buy into ag land. Um, and it's because it's such a stable investment. And I think, um, you know, if the, if the land values stay up, I think a lot of the other things going on in the ag economy can be overcome. Um, and I, I think that's what, you know, this coming year, we're probably going to see a lot of people are going to be uh, watching the gyration in the markets in terms of uh, corn and soybeans and other and other commodities. But uh, if we can keep ag land values up, I think that that is something that uh, probably will uh, serve as a backstop. I think you're exactly right. And it gives producers dry powder on their balance sheets to, to take advantage of when things do start to move. Todd Neely, reporter with DTN. Thank you so much for taking the time to fill us in on issues that are happening in agriculture. Thanks very much, Mike. And folks, stick around. Jackie Holland of Farm Futures will join us to talk fertilizer when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. 
making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking to Joe Lardy. He's a market intelligence and insights analyst with CHS Global Research about the February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Report. Joe, what were some of your top takeaways here from the February WASD? Well, the February report is usually a pretty tame report with only some very small changes. And this month really did follow that same pattern. Um, there was only one change to the bean balance sheet, nothing to corn, and only a couple small tweaks to the uh, to the wheat market. However, the focus of this report was really on South America. Yeah, Joe, all eyes have been on South American production numbers. Were there any surprises? Well, I wouldn't really say that it was a surprise, but we did see some really large cuts to production once again this month. Um, Brazil beans were cut by another 5 million metric tons down to 134. I mean, just two months ago, we were at 144 million metric tons. And, you know, this is two big 5 million metric ton cuts, both in the January and in the February report here. And I'm expecting we're going to see another big cut when we get to the March report as well. Argentina, we did see some cuts there as well. And we also can't ignore the production losses in Paraguay. You know, a lot of times we get really focused on just Brazil and Argentina, but Paraguay is a decent sized producer down there. And two months ago, their production was at 10 million tons. At today's report, their production is down to just over 6 million tons. So we've seen a 40% production cut in Paraguay in just two months. All right, that's Joe Lardy, Market Intelligence and Insights Analyst with CHS Global Research. Thanks for joining us around the table. To learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership, visit cooperativeownership.com. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. 
Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in today. You know, we have been talking about the volatility in the grain markets. They are all over the board. Well, we've got similar volatility still happening in the fertilizer markets as we get here into, well, halfway through the month of February, we're starting to see planting intentions firm up across the country. And folks who put the brakes on fertilizer orders last fall, well, I wonder, is it time to start talking to your retailer? Jackie Holland, the markets analyst with Farm Futures Magazine, joins us today. Jackie, fertilizer prices on the downward slope? I have been asking the same question, Mike. Um, at the wholesale level, we are certainly seeing uh, some price alleviation in the urea market. Uh, in the last month and a half, I've watched urea prices fall 28%. Um, a lot of that's due to lower offerings on urea tenders for India. Um, we're seeing a lot of global restocking, and we're seeing production kind of get back up closer to some of those pre-pandemic levels. Um, I've been waiting, I've been kind of watching some of these earnings reports from fertilizer companies. As far as I can tell, they have a lot of economic incentive to keep improving their nitrogen fertilizer production. So we are definitely seeing some price alleviation at the wholesale market. Um, but we're still kind of waiting to see those price drops trickle down to the retailer level. Yeah, retail prices can definitely be a little stickier than those wholesale prices. That's on the urea market. You mentioned, Jackie, you're watching these uh, these reports from the fertilizer companies. I imagine they've had a pretty good year in 2021. Yes, yes. I'm still waiting to see reports from Nutrien and Mosaic. Uh, but Nutrien reported a record earnings figure for their third quarter. Um, and we're just, I'm kind of anticipating that we'll see that trickle over into the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Uh, Jackie, I want to talk to you about uh, the feedstocks that go into fertilizer. Obviously, the energy markets are vital for what becomes nitrogen fertilizer. And we've got to move today. We've got crude oil down over $4, and yet natural gas is still moving higher. What are you watching on the energies to help uh, shape your future view of fertilizer prices? Well, the big news overnight has certainly been Russia pulling back some of its troops from the Ukrainian border. Russia is a major global producer of natural gas and just kind of the looming tensions between Russia and the West over a potential Russian invasion into Ukraine has been enough to really upend these energy markets, especially natural gas. Um, we haven't seen natural gas prices go back to the high levels of last fall just yet. So I'm not quite as concerned about high raw materials costs uh, for fertilizer production at this point, but the tensions that continue to persist between Russia and the West um, are just certainly injecting a huge dose of volatility into not just the energy markets, but into some of these fertilizer markets as well. Yeah, it is all across the board. You mentioned that fertilizer producers have the economic incentive to maximize their nitrogen fertilizer production. Jackie, what are you seeing on the P and K sides of the fertilizer market? Are they coming down too? Uh, they have come down a little bit following some of these nitrogen prices, but there's, there's still, those prices are still probably going to remain high. There's still a lot of fundamental uh, factors at play in the phosphate and potash markets that um, are kind of restricting global supplies, global availability. Um, U.S. farmers applied a record amount of P and K last fall. So hopefully that'll ease some of the spring supply tensions, um, but they will probably see breaks in the nitrogen, price breaks in the nitrogen market much sooner than we see from the phosphate or potash markets. 
Okay, Jackie, while well, we've got you, Farm Futures was the organization that published the study back in January, excuse me, the survey saying that soybean acres were going to be substantially higher than corn for only the second time in history. As you've been talking to producers, do you feel like uh, your soybean survey report is going to end up uh, verifying? I think it will depend on how quickly we see some of these fertilizer prices cool off at the retailer level. You know, if we start to see those prices move lower in the next few weeks, I would expect that. I would expect corn acreage to be more favorable, especially as we're seeing, you know, we saw $6.50 some bushel corn last week. So, if we see a price break in these in these retail fertilizer markets, I would expect our survey numbers to shift more in favor of corn acreage than beans. But until then, I see beans as reigning supreme in 2022. Yeah, those lower input costs certainly make a lot of sense. Jackie, as you look at this fertilizer market, and I know it's very volatile, do you anticipate these elevated prices to stick around for the 2023 growing season as well? Should folks just get acclimated to where prices are? I, You know, in, in today's economic climate, I am nervous to issue a forecast that far out. Uh, but global demand for these these fertilizer inputs certainly isn't going anywhere. Um, you know, corn in Ukraine, corn in China needs as much fertilizer, it needs as much herbicide, as, and in some cases more, as it does here in the U.S. And with these high prices, um, everybody around the world is sort of scrambling to put whatever they acre, whatever acres they have into production this year. I think you're exactly right. Jackie Holland, Markets Analyst with Farm Futures Magazine. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We'll talk to Jeff Cooper of the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. National FFA Week is February 19th through the 26th, and FFA students from across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm the National FFA Secretary, Jackson Sylvester, from the state of Delaware. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agriculture education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.